Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I signed off this morning on a proposal we have. I don't know why I bother playing Joe Biden audio. You can't hear him anymore. It doesn't matter that he's outdoors, there's a car going by, a helicopter. You can't hear him. Again, frail. But he has signed off to try and get additional funding from Congress because he wants a new COVID-19 vaccine. And not only that, he wants to require you to take it. Well, it's nice to know that uh, history does indeed repeat itself. Meanwhile, Florida is looking at Hurricane Adalia. This was a just it was it was just a storm. That's all it was. And in the past couple days, they've started seeing this thing turn. This would be west coast of Florida, uh, something that's crossing over uh, Cuba as we speak. But it's going to spend a good amount of time in the Gulf, uh, seemingly like near near 48 hours. That's to build a, a fair amount of strength and then to cross north of Tampa. Very, at least that's the track now. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Usually when we see these storms in Florida, having lived in Tampa as I did for a number of years, it heads south of Tampa. Tampa rarely, rarely, rarely takes the hit because when you're south of a storm, uh, at least on, on the West Coast, you're on the, on the right side of the storm, that's where you're getting hit the most. And Tampa would always get hit with the, the softer side of the storm and then it would come back around the Gulf and, and, and build up strength. Remember how a, how a storm uh, turns. So this thing is building up. You've got uh, Governor DeSantis... Uh, back in Florida, keeping an eye on things, letting people know where they can go for help. I'm proud of how we've been able to handle these, where we really take the bull by the horns, and we go in, we have a dis- we, we plan ahead, we have a disaster fund in the state of Florida that we are able to, to dip into to be able to help doing all this stuff. I mean, His point of the disaster fund is you can't wait for the federal government to give you money. We're going to keep an eye on that storm just because there's a presidential election going on. Look, it's a hurricane. Florida has hurricanes. This is nothing new. I lived in Florida. There were hurricanes. There were hurricanes uh, before I lived there, hurricanes after I left. There are hurricanes. And you deal with it the best best that you can. Of course, the progressive left will tell you how this is global warming. Remember, they want to tell you how Hawaii is global warming. Hawaii, what happened in Maui, is not global warming. What happened in Maui is this horrific mix of of uh, human failure, uh, diversity efforts, if you will, a a tremendous number of of issues with what actual people did. That you know that these fires started because of power lines. That's how they started. The whole we blame climate change thing from the governor, Josh Green, and others, it's a bunch of nonsense. It's a lie. 
people like John Podesta who said the fires were fueled by climate change lie. Every last bit of it, a fraud. Lawsuit filed Thursday. The government of Maui County alleges that Hawaiian Electric Company and its subsidiaries, as the reporting goes from Fox News, failed to properly power down live electrical equipment amid a red flag windstorm earlier this month. And because of that failure, the power lines operated by the utility company sparked a series of deadly fires on the island. Never mind that the person in charge of emergency management on Maui had no experience. Never mind that the people who were in charge of water resources were questioning whether firefighters should get water to fight this fire because, after all, uh, are, are, you, are you saving the homes of white people? I mean, do they deserve to have their homes saved? Then you have the blockade. Oh, oh the blockade. You know that the road out was blocked and people were told to turn back the roads were blocked all the people who who said to hell with your blockade and drove around them and drove through them they're alive that can't be said about everybody who's like oh the road's blocked i guess we can't leave why was the road blocked And why don't we have a number of all of the dead? We know that schools were closed because of of power issues. And we know that parents said, well, I got to go to work. You stay at home. Be a good kid. We still don't have the numbers. We still don't have the numbers of the dead. They want to tell us it was climate change. It's a lie. These people cannot help but try and move their ideology at all costs. Pay no attention to you, pay no attention to your rights, pay no attention to decency, simply, simply attack, attack, attack. This is the case regarding COVID and the pushing of masks. I I swear to you, this is not a repeat. People out there are pushing masks. COVID is back. And what we have to do is all wear masks so we can survive. Oh, God. No, God, please, no. 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 No one is surprised that there would be variants uh, of COVID. No one is surprised that there would be... um, uh, resurgences of the thing we understand that we are going to live with covid for forever but we also understand that forced vaccination is wrong forced mask wearing is wrong force is wrong and you cannot shut down society to save society this is what we know you cannot shut down society to save society There are people out there who will tell you that not only was the shutdown important, but they'd had no ill effects. This was Mehdi Hassan over at NBC, or I'm sorry, MSNBC. 
Millions of kids across the country are heading back to school right now. My own two daughters went back to school this week. It's the fourth new school year since the coronavirus burst onto the scene and turned our world upside down. But it's the first school year since President Biden declared an end to the pandemic, since both the US and the WHO declared an end to the coronavirus public health emergency. So am I glad schools are back up and running again? Yes. Am I glad that COVID cases and hospitalizations are down from the record highs of 2022? Yes, of course. Although I should point out that COVID cases are going up again. And last week, more than 12,000 people were hospitalized with COVID in this country. COVID is not gone. And our kids in particular are still at risk of infection, of reinfection, of long-term harm, and yes, of death. Today, I want to address this thorny and very emotive issue of kids, schools and COVID, because we have seen a blatant and bad faith rewriting of history on this issue from a lot of people who should know better. And so I think this today, what you're about to watch is one of the most important deep dives I've ever done on this show. Yeah, no one's interested in your deep dive. If you're then going to tell them that COVID-19 and school shutdowns did not harm kids. The myth of children and COVID-19 that children uh, uh, were, were, were harmed and school closing were a mistake. Those are dangerous myths. Are you saying, are you saying that it seems to be, um, it's, it, I, is, is he saying that it was a myth that kids were harmed? Let's make sure I understand this right. Because the myths about children and COVID, that kids aren't really harmed by it, that school closures were a massive and avoidable mistake, that they cause learning loss and mental health issues. Those myths, and they are myths, dangerous myths, have endured for so long, become so ingrained, so pervasive, that they're not just something Fox viewers believe. I'm sure many of you watching at home have sadly come to accept many. So the lockdowns didn't do anything. Huh. This is a story from Indianapolis. Kylie Conway reporting at Wish TV, wishtv.com. Students have not recovered from the academic losses suffered during the pandemic despite a massive infusion of funding from the federal government. And she walks through uh, the, the amount of money spent. And according to the nation's report card, much improvement is still needed to catch up to pre-pandemic academic performance. The left is going to tell you how you have to wear a mask and it's good for you. The left wants to tell you how you have to be locked down and it's good for you. You see, we saved your life and we'll do it again, especially if it means mail-in balloting because we've got a really old man on the ticket and that way we can do whatever we want to do and win. And that's exactly the way people see it. We know that you're screwing with the system. By the way, in everything that happened with the election in 2020, uh, I, I do put a tremendous amount of fault on the Republican Party and the lawyers who absolutely don't know how to fight. They don't know how to fight. You saw what was happening. You saw the shenanigans and you didn't lose your mind and you didn't demand. You didn't go over the top. You let it happen. You let it happen. Just as a reminder. But this is MSNBC trying to tell you that your kids weren't affected. They're going to tell you that masks are good for you. This is a story out about a, a study published in the Journal of uh, Ecotoxicology and Environmental Safety. That's a journal. I don't. Okay, that that's some very very specialized reading. Uh, it's on the NIH website, suggesting that wearing N95 COVID masks, specifically the KF94 medical mask. 
may expose individuals to a dangerous level of toxic, volatile, organic compounds known as a TVOC. So you might start seeing that uh, around TVOC, toxic, volatile, organic compound. So you had researchers in South Korea analyzing two types of disposable medical grade masks, a bunch of reusable cotton masks, and they found that chemicals released by these masks had eight times the recommended safety limit of toxic, volatile, organic compounds, TVOC. You probably know this because if you wear a mask for too long, you get a headache. Never mind the fact that masks don't stop COVID. We go to the University of Waterloo study. No one's refuted that study as I've seen, although if it's out there, please send it to me. A three millimeter gap in a mask reduces efficacy to 3%. COVID is aerosolized. It's not droplets like the flu or a cough or something like that. Of course, a mask stops something. It doesn't stop COVID. But these people... Oh, we're seeing COVID cases rise. Yes, there are rising COVID cases. They're up 21.6% in the most recent weeks, a week, and deaths have risen 21.4%. But what were the numbers before? Near nil. Near nothing. So you have colleges that have decided to force masks on students again. You have uh, a, a movie studio saying that you have to wear masks. And now you've got medical centers in Delaware and other places that are forcing masks back on people. A multiplicity of hospital systems. Now, a hospital is the only place where you could say, all right, wear a mask. It's literally the only place where even the most most angered person about this could be like, well, it's a hospital. But me and my daily life? What are you, nuts? My kids in school? Nah, I say let's fight. But it's all coming. The question of will we have learned from this? That's about to be answered. Would we allow this to happen again? That's about to be answered. You are going to see so many Americans so desperate to get that mask back on, so desperate to live in fear, so desperate to show that they really care. It is madness. It's disgusting. And Biden, wanting more money, which he should not get, thinking that he can require people to take it? Someone tell Joe Biden to go straight to hell. Require it? I'm not going through this, not going through this with employers, not going through this with the federal government. On this, there is nothing but the fight. These people do not stop. They do not quit. They do not rest. And remember, they believe that only they have the right point of view and anything else needs to be silenced by every means necessary. Watch what happens. And get ready to stand up for yourself. Man, I can't believe we're doing this again. This is frighteningly ugly. Or is it ugly and frightening? It's ugly and frightening. I'm Tony Katz. Never forget that the biggest story in America is not the return of COVID madness and these people who want to force you into masks.
it's not the indictment of Trump and it's not the debate or the election. The biggest story in America is the Biden crime family and how our so-called media refuses to cover it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, as is being reported, Devin Archer, the business partner of Hunter Biden, who was also there on the board of Burisma, that Ukrainian energy concern that was paying Hunter Biden, the president's son, $83,000 a month for, you know, his expertise or something. Devin Archer, who gave the testimony in front of the House Oversight Committee that nobody said wasn't true regarding Joe Biden being on phone calls at the behest of Hunter Biden and attending dinners, clearly in a way to try to influence the money going to Hunter Biden, Devin Archer and their business, Rosemont Seneca. Well, now we know that Devin Archer met with then Secretary of State John Kerry Weeks before Ukrainian prosecutor Viktor Shokin was fired, the same Viktor Shokin who Joe Biden so bravely, bravely stated that I wasn't going to give that guy any money. I wasn't going to, going to, the billion dollars, you're not going to get it. You don't remember? Oh, yes, you do. Guarantees. And I went over, I guess, the. 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and uh, and I was going supposed to announce that there was another billion dollar loan guarantee, and I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had they were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, nah, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours. I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid. Sure. Sure they did. He got fired, and weeks before, your son's business partner was meeting with the Secretary of State. Shokin, who just did an interview with Brian Kilmeade over at Fox, stating, of course uh, Hunter and Joe got a bribe. That's his view. This is the biggest story in America. And good on James Comer, the congressman from Kentucky, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, for looking into it and digging into it. The fact that ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, and CNN are not covering the story, that's the proof of how big the story is. What they don't cover, that is what you need to know. When Representative Ro Kahana of California says this. And that's because the American people know the facts. Joe Biden, there's not a single shred of evidence that a single payment went to President Biden. There are bank records. I mean, there are. There's money that got moved around in exact amounts for the uh, purchase of a, of, a, of a sports car or something else. Impeachment inquiry. I know. Some people are like, go right to impeachment. Impeachment inquiry. Dig and share and dig and share. Because this family is corrupt in my view. 
And you know the AG won't do anything about it. I'm Tony Katz. So the Colts now getting ready for the season. They're starting to put things together, and to put things together, they got to they gotta tear some things apart. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, and tearing things apart involves some people having to be dropped from the roster. One of those people, Kenyon Drake, running back. He had 21 yards against the Eagles. He's been released. A bunch of people waved, but... These things sometimes happen because that's how contracts are written. Because when you take a look at how you get to the 53-man roster, sometimes you got to make moves so you can then make them again. Maybe he ends up with this team. Maybe he doesn't. What I can't figure out is watching Anthony Richardson play, he went 6 for 17, 78 yards. But Gardner Minshew was 9 for 11 and 102 yards. I get that Anthony Richardson's going to be the starter, but the numbers don't say that. At all. JMV joins us from 93.5107.5 The Fan. He is the voice of sports in the state of Indiana. I want to start uh, in this quarterback uh, spot real quick. Uh, Of course, you got to let Anthony Richardson play. You got to let the future have its opportunity to build out. But there's an argument in just the data, man. You take a look at the numbers. The argument clearly states that Gardner Minshew is the guy who should be starting. He's the guy who should be playing. If you take a look at him preseason, 28 for 32, 281 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, His quarterback rating is 124.1. The numbers say he should start for the Colts, man. Yeah, and if this were an all-chips-in scenario, as it was a couple of years ago, another failed statement by the Colts and their owner, Jim Mercy, if you remember, Tony. But if it were like that, then he probably would be. Maybe he would be. Maybe he would be considered. But the the thing of it is, with this team right now, it is all about grooming and building and putting confidence in and, and growing, evolving their 20-year-old quarterback. I mean, that is the emphasis on this season. Now, that's why it's so befuddling as to why you could not come to some sort of agreement of some sorts, get on the same page, at least for a final year, with Jonathan Taylor. But that aside, um, this is for the rookie quarterback. And, again, it's going to be like a three-to-one ratio, Tony, of bad things to good things. But I can tell you this, going back to Thursday night, it was incredibly refreshing to see a quarterback with an up-the-field rush in their face not, you know, crap themselves and then fumble the football, to be able to move, to be able to move around, not just extending the play, but these RPOs that they're performing, you know, being able to to tuck that ball in the belly of the running back and then take it back out and take off running. Um, the passing game still has a lot, as you mentioned. I mean, Gardner Minshew is much more effective in terms of that. But it is going to be the juice, the excitement that you see from a rookie quarterback along with the growth. That's the major component of this season for the Colts. I'm not suggesting they're saying, hey, you know what, who cares if we win or lose? That doesn't matter at all. But what does matter at the top of that list is the maturation process of their rookie quarterback. And we shouldn't deny Richardson five carries, 38 yards, and has that in in, in the repertoire because he's, you know, he, he's 20 years old. I mean, it's, it's yeah. he, he's got the legs. He's going to have them for a good long time. But we see, as we see in all quarterbacks, uh, 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 eventually, 
eventually uh, you got to be able to develop as a pocket passer. You got to be able to develop as somebody who who can move the ball uh, down the field. What did you see in that game? What do you think Shane Steich and the coach saw that makes him say, okay, all right, we can build on something here? Uh, well, I, I think obviously it's you know making mistakes and then making up for those mistakes. Part of the accuracy issue is is going to remain an issue, and hopefully he's able to climb out of that. Tony, you just made a statement that's accurate, really accurate in terms of a quarterback. And it is great watching a quarterback run around. We all love the whole signature of Andrew Luck around here in the early years was being able to extend the play. I remember coming back from Alaska and reading a magazine article, and you know, Andrew Luck is the best at extending the play. And then next to it in parentheses, it stated how many needless, useless, and just can't happen type of hits this guy takes over the game period, over the season, over the entirety of the year. And that, that can't happen. It can happen right now because he's young, as you mentioned. Uh, he's athletically as gifted as anybody we've ever seen, certainly playing that position. But he has to be accommodated for being able to throw the football and being accurate. And I said this on Friday's show. I think there are some guys around him, Tony, that need to help him out a little bit, whether it's Michael Pittman Jr. or Alec Pierce, or you're talking about that tight end room right now. A couple of things that stood out to me. The accuracy certainly was not there more often. Uh, as we saw on Thursday night from Anthony Richardson. But some of those balls were in the vicinity that weren't caught. Josh Downs, his roommate, the rookie, uh, dropped one off his fingertips. Uh, Alec Pierce had another drop, which can be concerning. But here's the overall gist of what I'm getting to here. These wide receivers have to be able to create a little bit of space occasionally. That's one thing we've talked about with you and others in the past is that they create no space. You know, I talked about a passing window for Anthony Richardson. Oftentimes there's no window there. That leads to him forcing it to these guys, and then that's what leads to turnover. So these guys, including the tight ends, have to help him out. And we really haven't seen that yet. In fact, we haven't seen that with this group to this point this year or going back to last year. That has to effectively change to help out Anthony Richardson in the passing game to become more accurate, to become more confident throwing the football down the field in those tight windows. That has to happen as we move along the season. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana. Uh, does this mean that you, you set up a defense where, you know, you're keeping that extra tight end in, you're keeping a running back uh, back to be able to to, to block that, that, that blind side, give him a little extra time to, to, to find his guys? And if so, what kind of running backs do you need? Because Kenyon Drake had a pretty good... Uh, uh, preseason coming in. You know, I said five for 21 in that last game against Philadelphia. Did catch a touchdown pass, caught two for 22, but he gets released. You don't know what the story is with Jonathan Taylor, and I'm going to assume, even though there, you know, may or may not be a deal, I, I got to assume that if he's back, he's not necessarily a guy who is playing. I have no faith uh, that he will. So, what do you take from the running backs? Who do you see that you like? And are you somebody who gets rid of Kenyon Drake or? Would you be better off getting rid of Huntley? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know if it's if he made a compelling argument, Tony, during the preseason to keep him on hand. I think the reason why we look at it that, that way is because there is no Jonathan Taylor and because we're talking about Evan Hall and Deion Jackson because that is not on the surface looking to be something that we would believe to be effective, certainly helping out Anthony Richardson. Um, 
Well, it's funny you brought up, you know, Jonathan Taylor, maybe not known as, you know, being able to chip block and protect his quarterback and, and things of that nature, more of just a home run hitting type of running back. If I'm Jonathan Taylor, let's just say he feels compelled now to return. All right, we've exhausted all of our measures here. So my representation tells me that I go back, play out the season. This is stuff he's going to have to do because the market at running back, Tony, next year is very saturated. A lot of options out there. So he's going to have to be more, become more than just what he has been. Now, that has been a home run hitting running back. But you bring up protection of a quarterback, especially with a faulty offensive line like we saw last year. And then you bring up also being able to be a legitimate threat out of the backfield and catching the football. That's what this team needs. And, in fact, that's what Jonathan Taylor needs to help himself out monetarily, contractually speaking, further down the road. I don't know if it's going to happen at this point with where we are with Jonathan Taylor, but with this team and with Jonathan Taylor himself, it would be important for him when and if he comes back to establish himself as just more of a bell cow handed off and he's going to run the football, things you just brought up, being more adaptable to other measures offensively, especially with Shane Steichen. And you know he's going to be doing a ton of different things uh, to make him more adaptable do that, not just for the Colts right now, but for his long-term future. Who else needs to go? Like, who should the Colts be thinking about uh, getting rid of, putting on that waiver wire, saying thanks, but we're we're going to go in a different direction? And where is still the need uh, position? Never, ne- never mind the, the the running back stuff. Where's the need, and is this something they can pray for on the waiver wire, or are they going to have to go out and make some kind of deal? Well, I mean, the, the waiver wire is going to go, you know, obviously in, in order. If you have more than four years, four years plus service, it's like, I'll give you a great example. Like Kenyon Drake was released, as you rightly mentioned, because he's got four years plus service. So the NFL allows you to become a free agent. If you're on the waiver wire, that means you have been cut from the team with less than four years service. And then there's kind of a pecking order, a schedule of teams. Uh, Colts are very near the top of that schedule, mind you, but there is a pecking order for that. Now, you bring this up because we talked about this on Friday. Danny Pinter, we did not know the outcome of his injury on Thursday night. It was a worst-case scenario. He's done for the season with a broken ankle. They were already in a really tough spot, Tony, as far as offensive linemen to back up are concerned, and that squeezes it even tighter. So I'm assuming they're going to be heavily active as far as bringing in offensive linemen to back up because they simply don't have the bodies right now. You think in terms of a, a possible release How about a guy like Mo Ali Cox, I know we brought up his name before they have a crowded when healthy tight end room right now. And you've got, you know, Ogletree coming back from that injury of a year ago that clearly they like a great deal. Will Mallory is a rookie that I think they like. And here's the one guy that needs to step up. You know, I talked about the wide receivers stepping up, creating space, uh, getting out there for their quarterback, trying to uh, get connected in his first year under center here with the Colts. Jelani Woods. Jelani Woods has, I think, a tear in his hamstring, which is bad. Understand that. You rehab and get back. But from some folks will tell you that maybe Jelani Woods, because of a nagging injury, wasn't in the best shape when you go back to – the middle of the summer, uh, certainly here in training camp. 
And he's going to have to start taking this a little bit more seriously. He's supposed to be more than just, well, that guy's incredibly athletic. He's going to go out and catch a touchdown pass, you know, every month or so. He needs to be a guy. I'll give you a great example. Shane Steichen, a year ago, offensive coordinator, Dallas Goddard was his tight end, utilized him for absolutely everything. Jelani Woods should be that and then some. You got to get healthy, but you got to get serious about your game, about your body, and get out there and be ready to whip some people. And from what you hear, maybe he wasn't altogether ready for that. He needs to get ready because he's at the top of that list of guys that can play that role of Goddard and what he did a year ago with the Eagles for Shane Steichen and certainly one of the more talented dudes on the team. He's just not representative of that right now because of injury and maybe because he did not report in the best of shape. Defensive side of the ball, what did you see? And uh, who needs who needs to step up or who needs to step out? Oh, it's funny. You know, last year I was so excited, Tony. Here comes um, you know, Nick Ngakwe, you know, guy off the edge. They haven't had an edge. And I'm talking about they've had guys that have had sacks before, right? But they haven't had a consistent threat off the edge, sincerely, since Robert Mathis. And I thought that Ngakwe would be that. And, you know, Ngakwe had double-digit sack numbers a year ago, but it just kind of came because, hey, they're there, and I think I'll sack him. There was really no difference-making that uh, he allowed. I'll give you uh, one is uh, of Dengbo and the other is Quiddy Pay. These guys, it's time for them to show that they can be consistent defensive difference makers. We have seen the good, we have seen the bad, and we've certainly heard about all the hype, the hype will drive you nuts. But these guys, I'll start with those two, have to become much more of a consistent factor, especially considering what this Colts team defensively hasn't had going back to Robert Mathis. That consistent pressure on the quarterback, you like what you have up the middle, DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart. But Odenbo and Pay have to become what the Colts thought they were going to be. It is time now to evolve into that and become consistent major factors on this football team defensively. Talking to JMV, uh, he is the voice of sports in Indiana. Before I let you go, we we mentioned Jonathan Taylor briefly. Uh, in in your view, uh, the start of the season is going to take place, uh, barring anything that's happened since we've been talking. Um, Jonathan Taylor is going to actually be in uniform and play. Yes or no? Um, <laughs> I I would. He may be in somebody else's uniform playing. Uh, that's unfortunate because I didn't want to believe that. But it kind of seems like I could be proven wrong because I think this thing has gone back and forth. Um, I, I just I don't know if the two sides can. And this sounds so stupid. All right, you need this guy. He needs you. I mean, get something done. How hard is it? But apparently, this is really hard to wear, especially on the Taylor side. It may not. It may be irreconcilable differences here. I mean, it may be something that unfortunately is going to lead to a divorce. Now, I'll give you a couple of teams here. Miami is most often mentioned. The problem you're going to have in trading him is the Colts have that high price tag. And unless you come down from that one pick, there's nobody out there going to trade a number one first-round pick for Jonathan Taylor. And then secondly, when you trade for him, he's going to want an extension. So you're going to have to trade draft capital if you're a team like Miami, and then you're going to have to pay him. And again, a position you don't normally pay. Now, Miami is in on the fringe of being ultra-competitive, certainly this season. So you start there. You know, maybe a team like Baltimore in the backfield um, with Lamar. Um, I, maybe 
maybe a Buffalo. I think about Buffalo all the time, Tony, because we talk about quarterbacks that, that run too much and need to throw more. Uh, Josh Allen is a guy that calls his number all the time and takes an absolute beating now. So maybe it's time to get a legitimate running threat in there. I haven't heard about Buffalo, but that would make sense. Um, unfortunately, I just don't see where he's going to be able to hang on this right. team. It just kind of seems like both sides are at a point where you cut your losses and you move on because the thing simply is not going to work out, Tony. JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana. I appreciate you taking the time. More is coming up. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. I signed a, uh, a pledge to be on that stage to say that I support the Republican nominee. I remain confident, more confident after Wednesday night, that the Republican nominee will not be the former president, that we're going to give the American people a standard bearer uh, for the GOP that's going to be able to lead us to victory against Joe Biden uh, and, and the radical left. But, uh... but I have not seen anything that proves that, Vice President Pence. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. I do believe that nearly anybody on that stage could beat Joe Biden. I do believe that to be true. Biden's age is constantly coming up, this Maui disaster, and everybody who tried to push for, oh, it's climate change. It wasn't climate change. This was a tremendous amount of human error, human malfeasance, just uh, for the things for the sake of diversity and not for the sake of lives, just proving how awful uh, the, the diversity play is. You have to hire to talent, and there's talent everywhere, but you have to hire talented people, and you sure as hell can't hire your brother-in-law. Using that as just the example, right? The nepotism conversation. Um, I, I, I do worry about Trump winning a general. I, I've gone over the latest polls. I can't make anything of them. That's why we brought in Craig Robinson to discuss it and, and break it down. But there was nothing about that debate stage that would say that Vice President Pence is the guy who can be that standard bearer. I'm not angry with the man. I'm just stating it as factually as it is. This is Tony Katz today. Tony Katz today.